Before I pray, I just want to say a couple of things in light of what the Lord's led me to do this morning. First, we're going to the sure foundation this morning to lean in repose and rest upon God's grace as he's revealed himself there in a psalm this morning. And I'm going to go to the psalm because there's a number of things that have transpired in the last week. Paul's sermon from last Sunday, Caleb's equipping our lesson, circumstances that I've experienced and watched, and also trials that I've seen many of you go through in the last month or even throughout the winter. So I pray that this will be edifying time for you and illuminating as well. Before I actually get into the message, I do want to pick up on that last song just a little bit that we sang, that last hymn. And I want to read um, a couple of lines from the original hymn this morning before I begin my sermon. So just listen to these two uh, parts of the song I think that will be beneficial for us this morning. It says, when through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathways shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume, and thy gold to refine. Church, this this hymn and the text we'll be looking at from Psalm 116 this morning tells us some very important truths about God's character and his love for us. It tells us that nothing in this world or in the heavens above can shake us from God's omnipotent and merciful hand, not even the things that seem overwhelming to us here on earth, not even physical trials, not even spiritual battles or emotional distress that we face in this life. As a matter of fact, if you really understand what this psalm is going to say to us, you'll understand that our deepest distresses are actually designed by God for the believer's good. And and I'm pastorally burdened today to help you understand and grasp that comforting truth in this psalm. And I'm not really sure today who uh, this sermon is for specifically, aside from myself. This is the place I run to a lot. But I think that this, this message from Psalm 116 will be comforting to all believers that are here today. And I think it's going to be helpful for the unbeliever as well. Because in this psalm, if you would, would go ahead and turn with me in your Bible, says Psalm 116. I believe in this psalm, God helps us to see... What distress is designed to accomplish in the believer's life. And again, for us to understand that, we need to look at the text in a few moments. But before I just jump into a psalm that you, some of you likely don't know much about, I want to help you understand some background and understand that what we're going to find here is really God's sanctifying design for distress in King David's life. So as you, as you go there, just listen as I kind of give you a background and context for what's happening in David's circumstance at this time. In this psalm, God is revealing to us that King David is going through a massive struggle in his life. And that struggle is related to his son, Absalom. And Absalom had just recently betrayed his father, David, and then was now attempting to overthrow David from off the throne and usurp his authority. Now, if you know anything about Absalom at all from the Old Testament, you know that Absalom is a piece of work, right? He is a mess. Not long before this event actually took place that actually brings us this psalm, 
Absalom was actually at work, if you will, having his brother murdered. He had had his brother killed because his brother had done an evil thing. He had violated his sister Tamar. And as a result of that, Absalom himself had to scatter and hide and flee for some time. But because he was unrepentant, because he was likely an unbeliever from what we understand of Scripture, he spent that time brooding, not repenting. And during that time that he was hiding out for what he had done with his brother in relation to his sister's violation, Absalom sat there in this time plotting bitterly in his heart against his father. He did that because Absalom thought that David had failed. David didn't act quickly enough to vindicate his sister. And so that's why Absalom took things into his own hands. And during this time that he's out hiding, if you will, he, he's, he's filling his heart with this bitterness, this, this brooding over this bitterness in his heart. And he is convincing himself that he would be a better ruler than his father David. So his sinful heart goes to work planning and plotting plotting on how to overthrow his father and eventually put his father to death if necessary. And he does that in a really wicked way. He underhandedly tries to come in behind David and conspire with David's closest friends. He surrounded himself with these people and and filled their mind with these thoughts that he had in his own heart and began to undermine David's authority in the kingdom and try to destroy him. And he wanted to do that again so that he could take his father's place as king. Now, the sovereign providence of God is at work in all this. All these events are happening. And because of this, David now has to flee. Now, he is the one on the run. He flees from his throne, and he does so to save his own life, to escape being murdered by his son Absalom. So David now becomes a fugitive in his own kingdom. Can you imagine this as a father? Knowing that your son is plotting to murder you, I mean, this is, this is a broken condition that this man's heart must be in. He's a broken man now with no throne, no home. He's destitute. Even at this point, he's now hiding in a cave, and he's being hunted like an animal by his own son. This psalm actually reveals that to us, talking about him being encompassed about, being encircled, being put in a corner, if you will, trapped But during all this time, as David is fleeing because of his son's conspiracy and bitterness and hatred, God's at work. God had not abandoned David. God was lovingly at work even in all this distress. He was at work in this reminding David, look, David, you're there because I put you there. He was reminding David that his strength as a king and his peace in life depended not on David's own prestige Or his own power. But it depended on God's mercy and grace alone. And saints, that's true in our lives as well. I I believe when you read this psalm, you're going to see something fantastic in it. I believe that this psalm illustrates to us that God mercifully and graciously uses distress in the believer's life for our good and God's praise. And that's what this psalm reminds us about. It reminds us that we don't have to give up. We don't have to give up when deep distress comes in like a flood pouring over us at times when we cannot even fathom the depth of it. Listen, if you live long enough, you're going to suffer in this world. It's a broken, sin-filled world. Suffering will come. Distress will come to us in this broken world. But we are not alone. 
God has not abandoned you when you go through distress. He is there sovereignly at work in it for your good and for his praise. That was what was happening here in David's life. And that's what the good news of this psalm tells us. It tells us that behind every frowning providence, there hides a smiling, sovereign face of God. That that is what is at the heart of this song when we read it. And I'm going to do that now in your hearing. So just know that as the background. This distress has come upon David in order to point David back to the true king of Israel, God himself. Psalm 116.1 I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Well, there is a breath of hope in that last verse. A breath of hope amidst distress. These these verses here teach us, I believe, that God has a sanctifying design for our distress in life. And I think that's a comfort. In verses 1 to 4, we learn that God's sanctifying design for this distress we face in life is, first of all, to do what it did in David's heart. It's to produce a humble reliance on God's great mercy. That's the first thing we see here. He says this in verse 1, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. He is running to God and expecting to have mercy because he's experienced this many, many times in God's covenant love for him. And in verse 1, we find David crying out in this humble reliance on God. And the first thing that David's distress taught him then by God's design was to be humble before God. He's in control of your life. And so David is humbly overwhelmed that now the God who's now placed me in this distressful situation has a plan, and he is also merciful in it. And he's now hearing my pleas. He's hearing the pleas of a needy sinner like himself. When you read about David, just so you know, anytime you read a psalm that David had written, and he's talking about mercy in it, David's mind, you know it must go automatically back to where he first experienced mercy in his rulership as king. When he saw this woman... And he decided he wanted her for himself, though she was married to someone else. And so he pursued Bathsheba. It's likely that he took Bathsheba by force. And then he ended up murdering her husband to justify his sin. That's on the mind of David, I think, here. God hears my pleas. Me, a needy sinner. And he's overwhelmed by this. As you read this, you see it. He's overwhelmed by God's tender mercy toward a failing man and a proud king. Saints, we should all be humbly overwhelmed by that, like David. 
We should be overwhelmed that our great and holy God still hears our pleas, even though we are failing sinners. And he does this, though, for the very reason that even David fully didn't see, but he knew because he trusted in God's promises. He does this because his great mercy toward us comes through David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' sacrifice, what he did in that work, he washed away our guilt. He took our punishment. He took what we deserve so that God could grant us mercy. Now, when, when you read this in this psalm, and you read this into your heart, and you look at what your life is like, and you can actually come to God in prayer when you fail, you should be amazed this morning. You should be astounded by this. And I hope you are. I hope you are. And I think this psalm helps you to be. I think it tells us in this psalm that God hears us when the distress of life is is brought on from things outside of us or things that we've done to ourselves. When, When distress is related to our own sins or outside circumstances, either way, this psalm teaches us that God will mercifully hear us when we cry out to him for help. I'll say this again later, but God is not a distant deity. He didn't wind up this world and throw it into action. He is present at work in it, and particularly in his people. And he is working behind the scenes to accomplish all for his praise and also to conform us to the image of his son. And God will hear us when we cry out in faith, trusting in him to reconcile us, just as David does here. That's what this distress and anxiety does to him. I mean, listen, there are times, saints, I don't know, again, if you've lived long enough, you've already suffered. You've already went through distressful times. But there are times when when you face distress and anxiety to the point that it feels so great that you can't do anything. You're frozen. You can't articulate your heart to anybody else. Nobody can understand what's going on inside of you. All you got left are the groans and the weeping that comes from inside out. That's it. God can hear those things, and he cares. He is actively at work in that even mourning, that grief that we face at times like that, bringing us back to himself to say, I care and I hear you. And listen, I know this from experience. That the stress and anxiety in life is a heavy burden to bear. It's too heavy for us. And if you're weary today because of that, I want to tell you some good news. God hears your pleas for help. Listen to this, saints. This is how well God hears. He hears the tears that run down your face when no words suffice. He does that. He hears us like that because of his great mercy for us and the love that we receive through his son, Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews. We'll go back to Psalm 116, but look at Hebrews. Hebrews 4. This tells us why God hears us. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Then the writer of Hebrews says, let us then with confidence, faith, 
Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, what David is doing over here in Psalm 116 is really what the writer of Hebrews says that all believers can do in their time of need. They go to the throne of grace because we have a sympathetic high priest who has interceded for us and will forever be with us in the midst of our distresses in life, controlling them to conform us more and more to his image. So, saints, just be assured this morning that God hears your pleas for help. And understand this, he will not waste your suffering. For the believer, our suffering is never without a purpose. It's always purposeful suffering. It will work together to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, to make us more like God's Son. That's the reason that we endure suffering with joy as Christians. We do weep and we do mourn, and there's a time for that. But we have joy in the morning because God says this suffering won't be wasted. I'll sanctify thee through this, through this trial. Our sanctifying process often contains suffering. That's just the way it is. We are still sinners. We still are obstinate in our heart. We don't always listen as we ought. Therefore, our suffering is a sanctifying gift designed by God to humble us so that we will have to turn to God. That our hearts will turn back to the only one that we can rely on, trust in, and the only one who can strengthen us in the midst of our difficulties and our trials in life. We can't trust in our strength. We can't trust in our own comforts. They're going to fail. But his will not. His promises are sure in Jesus Christ. Now notice what happens next back in Psalm 116. After David has expressed this humble reliance upon God who is in control of even his distress this moment in time, notice what happens next, what David does next here. He turns to God in verse 2, and in humility he, he cries out for mercy. And what does he do? He finds fresh hope. That's what he does. In verse 2 he says, he inclined his ear to me. Wait, I came to him humbled by this circumstance? And guess what? He listened to me. He inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. God is faithful. Now, I love this. He inclined his ear to me. That is a fascinating phrase to me. It's anthropomorphic. It's not that God has a real ear, okay? It's a word picture, but it's a beautiful word picture. It means this. God leaned in hard. God leaned forward. God went downward. He came near to hear his saint crying out for mercy. He reacts that way when you cry out for mercy as well. Do not forget that. Do not think that your sins have been so bad, he is not willing to grant you mercy. He has already forgiven you in Christ. Mercy is abundant for you. The picture here is, is that of a father Leaning down close to a little child to hear their plea for help. That's the word picture we see here. He inclined his ear to me. Church, David's distress should actually encourage us at this moment. Because we're all going to go through something like this or have went through something like this. 
This distress, though, reminds us of something very important. It reminds us that God mercifully and eagerly leans in to hear us when we cry out for help. And, and oftentimes the reason we're not receiving the help we need is we think that I, I've got to do something to appease God first so that he would lean in. That's not going to work, saints. You can't outdo Jesus. He's already leaned in and done it all for you. And now you just go in faith knowing that I belong to God through Christ Jesus. I'm his adopted child. And he'll hear me when I lean forward in humility. He'll lean down and hear me. He's not a distant deity. And we know he's not a distant deity because we know Jesus, right? We know that it was God who sent his son into the world to deliver us from eternal distress how did he do that? By incarnating his mercy at the cross. He shows us how far he'll lean down to care for us. On the cross, Jesus is receiving what we deserved. And by doing that, Jesus has eternally captured the ear of God the Father for us. So that when we cry out, God hears us as if we are his son. Because we are in Christ. We've been adopted. That reality should give you fresh hope this morning when you're going through distress. I know it gives me hope. Listen, I don't always respond immediately like David here. I don't know how long it took David to respond like this. I know a lot of times I drag this out far longer than it should take. But I know that there is a God who hears. And he loves me because of his son's sacrifice that was given up for me. Jesus has gained full access to God's ear Because he is our great high priest. He is the one who has taken our place. He sympathizes with us. Through him we can cry, Abba, Father, help me. And God inclines his ear because his son has made us one with him. And he loves to to show how great his love is for the work that his son accomplished. Saints, we're we're not strangers to God. You You need to get that through your mind. No matter how you feel in the midst of this distress or these moments of wondering, does God still love me because I've blown it so bad? This distress has come upon me because of my failure to listen. Does he still love me? Yes, he loves you, but he loves you enough to discipline you. So that in that that distress, you will look to him and say, Father, forgive me. These things have been offensive to you. You can comfort me in the distress, but I don't have to purchase that Comfort by doing anything but resting in Christ. We are his blood-bought children. And so I know because of that, he hears us when we cry out for mercy. He inclines his ear toward us. I mean, there's there's a human illustration in this that we can all understand if you're a parent, right? I mean, your little one runs up to you. For instance, in our church, 3,000 children in this building at one time. I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed, especially with the moms, but even the dads. Amidst all this, one child gets hurt, starts screaming and crying. Mom or dad knows exactly that child's cry over all others and is eagerly running to care for their child. That is our father. He hears our cries when we are hurting, and he is eagerly seeking to comfort us with his divine love and mercy. That's what this psalm teaches me. That's what this psalm comforts me with. 
He is much more eager to help us than we are often to even ask. If we cry out in humility, admitting our need of him, God inclines his ear toward the needy, the humble in heart. Look at verses 3 and 4. In his time of distress, David cries out that the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. What's he doing there? Well, he's simply doing this. He's saying, I'm afraid I'm going to die. I'm afraid I, I am going to be murdered by my son. This is real fear, saints. God understands our distress. He even put King David through it so that we would understand it as well. He is fearful of death. Death was coming upon him. I mean, think about this conspiracy. Think about the power that was now behind Absalom. But what's he say? He says, in the midst of this, feeling encompassed, surrounded by threats and death, distress and anguish, that's when something happened in David's heart. Then I called on the name of the Lord It's almost as if God had a design in that distress. Put enough pressure on you, David, and you're going to turn to me and not rely on your own strength. That's the way it works in our lives as well. How many of us, I mean, listen, it's an American disease. How many of you guys feel independent and you don't need any help? Don't raise your hands. I know everybody would wave at me. That's what we think. We are not independent. We are dependent. On God, always, every breath, every heartbeat. But sometimes it takes distress to wake us up to that. That's what happened with David. God's design for his distress here was to turn David's heart back to God so that he would seek help from outside of himself. Again, David does this because David, like us, he's prone to sin. He had been powerful. He had all authority in the land. He was popular. I mean, they were praising his name when he killed Goliath, right? They loved this king. It might have actually produced pride in his heart. Certainly would have produced self-reliance at some point. I mean, we're all like that, though, aren't we? A little bit of praise goes immediately to our heads. But one small, distressful situation will show us how weak and needy we really are. And we have to turn to God. We act like David a lot of times. I know I do. And here's what I want to learn in that. When when God strips away, that's what's happening here. God is stripping away all of David's comforts, all of his security. He's saying, you got nothing, boy. You got me and that's it. Look to me. I am willing and able to care for you. I am designing this circumstance for you and your good. Now just wake up and look to me. And God stripped everything away. And so when God does that for us, when God strips away all of our comforts, I hope that we can recognize more quickly even than David here, recognize that the distress that takes things away from us, those distresses are a gift from God, a good God. It's a good gift from God because those distresses are meant to do what it does in David's life, to humble us and remind us that we are not in control. We must turn to God in faith. God alone can provide what we actually need most. You know what that is? It's his presence and his promises in Christ. Take everything I own. Take everything that I call mine. Take it away and I have Jesus. 
I have the security that my Savior has purchased me with his own blood, and I will be with him for eternity. And I have peace in the midst of the storm. So when distress comes, there's the question we have to ask ourselves, right? Because distress is coming. If you're not being distressed, I, I hate to tell you bad news, but it's coming. You're a sinner. You, you're going to fail. The world around you is full of sin and evil. It's going to bring spiritual battles against you. You're going to have distress. But when it comes, what or who do you trust in? You trust in your own wisdom to get out of the situation? Are you trusting in the world's wisdom, psychology, for instance? Mechanisms in the world that help you maybe delay the difficulty, but never really allay the difficulty. Are you trusting in your own ingenuity, your own strength, your own knowledge? Or do you humbly run to God, God alone? Do, do you run to God and his means of grace, which is prayer and his word? You find wisdom on how to live in his word. You find in prayer communion with your God. Prayer is not a small thing. To have communion with the Holy One is a miracle of grace. So in times of distress, we need to understand God's design behind it, right? In times of distress, here's what's happening. God is pressing us into choosing who or what we trust in. That's what they're there for. When, when our heart is compressed by fear and doubt or God's discipline, what we trust in most will be squeezed out of our lives when the pressure's on. So what do you trust in when the world, world falls apart around you? Where do you turn? When David faced distress, he had to confess that he was absolutely powerless. And so do we. David had lost everything in life. His own life was on the line at this point. His kingly authority had been stripped away. It couldn't save him now. Only God could rescue him. So in verse 4, B, David humbly calls upon the true king and savior of the needy. He says, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Distress weighs down your soul, but turning to the Lord grants you relief, comfort, assurance. Distress actually helps put everything in life into perspective. I remember a time in our life, Sherry and I went through that one thing in particular was so weighty, it's still weighty to this day, that the distress of it was physically just more than we could handle, spiritually more than we could handle. And it's funny how everything else fell away that was unimportant. And it turned us to God in prayer. It's God's good design. It turns us to our true king and our savior when we are needy. Here in verse 4, we see that God's design for distress is, number one, it's good, right? It's good. And it's meant to remove things that keep us from enjoying his presence. It removes pride and it draws us back into his presence, back to the fellowship we had with him before. Because this distress in life is meant to humbly reveal our inability to save or restore our brokenness. What we do when we come to that point is we, we turn back to God and we cry out like a little child, help me, Father, help me. And just like a little child in this room, a little two-year-old looks to their daddy to help them when they've skinned their knee. They don't just say, help me. They have hope that daddy's going to pick me up and he's going to clean me up and he's going to hold me. 
That is, that is the fruit that should come out of our distress. Our faith should grow. So in verses 1 to 4, we see that the fruit of a humbled heart in times of distress is, is that of one who trusts in God because this distress has weeded out everything else. It's consumed all the dross, and only the, the gold is left to refine. But we go on beyond that, and we can see that God uses distress in our life to not only produce reliance on his mercy and his presence, but also to produce something in us, to produce the fruit of joyful reverence for God's amazing grace. He, he does it to bring out his mercy, and he does it to bring out his grace in verse 5. Look at verse 5. I love this because what David does here flows right into our systematic theology books. He elevates the attributes of God in his joyful reverence for God and the amazing grace of God. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful, he says. Our God is merciful. Here David breaks out. This is, understand this. There's, when you read the Psalms, it really, it really needs to be understood. When we read the Psalms, these are songs, right? It's not like, Gracious is the Lord and righteous our God is merciful. That's not the way he wrote it. All right. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. He's rejoicing. He's breaking out in reverential praise of God because God has graciously heard his plea for help. Saints, are you that excited when God hears you in your prayers? Do you burst out in praise of God and his characteristics? Do you rejoice that the God of the universe, he hears you when you cry out? David is excited. We should be excited that he hears us. So many times when we pray, we pray in unbelief. I mean, we do it technically right. We don't deny the Trinity. We don't deny God, the the Son, God, the Spirit, God, the Father. We don't deny the Trinity, any of that. We, We acknowledge all those things. We say it all right. But do we really believe this God who created this world sent his son into it to take our place now hears us when we cry out for relief? If we believed it, we would probably find rest in it, even if we don't see it answered immediately. David's prayer wasn't answered immediately. Understand from verse 5 to the end here, he's praying in faith. He's rejoicing in faith. He doesn't see All this happened. He says, I will walk before the Lord. When I was brought low, he says, then my soul will return, right? All these things come to rest in hope of what God would provide. He says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. He's focusing on the character of God, not his circumstances. That's what distress should ultimately cultivate in us. Yes, the circumstance is difficult. Yes, the circumstance is overwhelming. I can't even articulate how overwhelming it can be. But God is greater than the immediate circumstances. The one who hears me is far greater than anything that's done to me or even done by me. I can trust in him. And so David joyfully confesses that God is all these things. He's gracious. He's righteous. He's merciful. And again, David would have known this experientially. He murdered a man to steal his wife and pillage her and produce a child. He knew that God had been gracious. He knew that God had given him unmerited favor. 
He knew that God had withheld his righteous wrath, his, gave him mercy. And amazingly, we know now that God used all this, all these circumstances in David's life, this distress itself, to draw this out of his heart. See, we're seeing what's really in David's heart in his distress. He starts off fearful like any man or woman would. But then it comes down to this pressing of this distress that he's now being able to see what's really in his heart. He's confessing his lowliness. He's confessing his neediness. He's confessing the greatness of God, praising him in it. It's producing a humble confession and a joyful response to God here. He's responding to God's unrelenting mercy and grace, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstance in his life. Forget the kingly usurping of authority and all that's going on there and that betrayal. The betrayal of a child is beyond words. It's beyond words. And David's saying, God is drawing out in this what needs to be always in the present. I can trust in God. Before the distress, in the distress, and after. My question for us is, is that how we respond to the trials that come into our lives? Are are you rejoicing in God's character in the midst of your trials today? Are you trusting that God intends for these things in your life to sanctify you? God's not sending them to crush you. He's not sending them to overcome you. Do you trust him in that? Well, I I do, but Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I struggle. This seems more than I can bear, and that's the point. You can't bear it. We bring it to God in prayer. And in Christ, our great high priest, he hears us. Because our God is gracious, righteous, and merciful. And God is the one who sent these distresses our way for our good and his glory. That's how we should respond. And I think that we can, if you understand even the next verse, verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, humbled, he saved me. The word simple there in Hebrew, and he carried over to the Septuagint and to the Greek, and it typically means um, simple-minded, not all that bright, dense. That's not what it means here. It's actually referring to weakness. The Lord preserved me in my weakness. Uh, The Lord preserved me when I was like a helpless child. Couldn't fend for myself. When I was brought low, that's when he saved me. He took me low to raise me up and comfort me. He exposed my heart to show me he is going to carry me through the difficulty. That's what distress was doing in David. That's what it should do in us. It should squeeze out humility. That's what squeezed out of David. It squeezed out repentance. It squeezed out praise to God from his heart. So the question comes back to us again. What do your trials in life reveal about your hearts? Stop and think about this. I mean, I'm preaching to you because I've already preached to me all day yesterday. But I'm preaching to you. What do our trials in life reveal about our hearts? Church, we can have the same response as David when we run to our sure foundation in the word of God. Look at the character of our God. And we can ultimately do what David does here. He finds joy in the midst of his distress. Because he knows at this point now he's beginning to see this distress is designed by God to point me back to God for my good. And to see him as my sovereign deliverer. My all-powerful, omnipotent one who is delivering me in the fire, not out of it. He doesn't get immediately out. 
but he takes him through it, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go through the fire, but there is one with them. Look back at Psalm 116, verse 7. You'll see what I mean. He's finding joy in the midst of his distress here. He says, he cries out here in verse 7 with joy in the midst of all this. He says, return, O my soul, to your rest. Comfort, soul, comfort. That's what he's saying. He is preaching the gospel to himself. Soul, relax. Rest. Look who hears you when you cry out. Our gracious and righteous and merciful God. For the Lord has dealt bountifully, abundantly with you. And he says, here's what he's done. For you have delivered my soul from death. David felt like he was going to die emotionally, spiritually, physically. And he's just simply crying out of his heart. Lord, you've delivered me from this this angst, this, this angst of death that hangs over me. I know that no matter what happens, you have me in this. And, and here what we're seeing is that God is using David's distress to grant him rest. Does that that, that is, seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? I'm going to distress you so I can give you rest. The reason for that is he didn't want him resting in anything else but God. Now He could have said, I won't put you through distress, and David would rest comfortably in his kingly role. But it wouldn't have conformed him to the image of the one who would come through David. God used this trial to refresh David's memory a little bit. Remember my grace. Remember my mercy. Oh, yeah, but don't forget my future promises to you. David knew that God had promised in his grace to bring forth a greater king from his own lineage, the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all grace and mercy. Saints, this is where this psalm now becomes tangible for us. By God's grace... We can do exactly what David's doing here. We can rejoice because our deliverer has come. Our deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, the true king of Israel, he did come. And he came to deliver us from eternal death by taking our place at the cross. And then rising from the dead in victory to set our souls free from sin's curse. This distress we face, saints, here's the bad news. You're going to go through it in this life because it's a fallen world. Here's the good news. It's going to cease one day, eternally, eternally. In Christ, we have that hope. Because in Christ, God inclined himself to deliver us from eternal distress himself. That is the good news today for the weary Christian is the good news today for the distressed saint. It's good news because if God did the greater thing, he sent forth his son in the fullness of time to take our place and rise on the third day and ascend into glory, then he's going to do the lesser thing, help you go through these difficulties, be with you in the battles. He's going to point you in those times back to his promises that are already secured in Christ. For the believer, this world is as close to hell as you're ever going to be. For the unbeliever, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. There'll be eternal wrath to come if you do not repent and look to Jesus. The only hope for sinners. That's why we can rejoice today in the midst of difficulty. Now what I like about this psalm is he's expressing joy here over God's grace in in verse 8 and verse 7 as well. But he's proclaiming I think this is important. The words are important. 
He's rejoicing in God's grace toward his soul, right, toward his soul. In verse 7, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. But he doesn't stop with the soul. He continues that thought in verse 8 and goes deeper. And I like this because God's, God's mercy and grace toward us is, is not theoretical. It's holistic. It encompasses the whole man. And, and he's expressing that he's rejoicing in his soul, yes. But he also is going to say here that even in this difficulty and distress, God is renewing his mind. He's bringing comfort to his mind. His mind is going to be at rest, comforted by recalling God's grace. Verse 8 says, in the first half says, You have delivered my eyes from tears. The eyes are where our emotions flow out. Our heart, right? You've delivered not just my soul, but my heart. If you're weary today from the distress that you're going through, this is good news. This is the song you can sing today, even if you're going through distress. Even those who are here today who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is hope for you. If your eyes are fixed on and rest in Jesus' completed work at Calvary, then you'll understand what this is saying. At, At the cross of Calvary, this is where the tears of sorrow over sin can cease. And those tears could then be turned to tears of joy because of God's unmerited favor, his grace toward you and his son, who died in your stead, was under the wrath of God that you deserve for eternity to grant you the freedom and the grace that comes to us through the work of the son who took our place. And he'll deliver your eyes from tears eternally. We're going to read about that lastly here today. He's going to wipe them all away because Christ absorbed all the distress of sin upon himself in our stead. In Psalm 116.8, David goes on to say more about this. He says, not just that you've delivered my soul, my eyes from tears, my emotions, you've delivered my feet from stumbling. I find that really comforting. Stumbling feet have to do with sin. It has to do with walking off the path that God has ordained. And he says, you've rescued me from Stumbling from going astray and staying astray. We all go astray, saints. But those who come back are brought back by the grace of God. Because he has set his love upon you. So I find this this comforting to me as a believer. When I am overwhelmed by my own sin. And by the world's pressure around me. Because I think what David is expressing here is his trust in God's preserving grace. And so what we learn about that is this. That David... Like a true believer, he failed. He, he fell and he failed, right? But through David, we see that though true believers fail and we fall, we will never fall completely. We are secured in the grace and mercy of God. And we're secured because our soul and our feet are anchored by God's sovereign grace. He acts upon us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, granting us life when we could not reach for it. No one reaches from the grave to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He reaches into the grave to draw us out and breathe life into the dead through the life of his son. That's why we are secured forever. That's why our feet will not always stumble. Not because we are exceptional, but because we're religious, not because we are strict in our thinking, because God is there protecting us in his grace and his mercy in Christ. Verse 9, 
David now joyfully proclaims that his, his anchored feet will one day walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That, that reminds me, I think what it reminded David of, it reminds me of our future hope in the midst of our present distress. In that future hope, we know this, and in our present distress, we know this. We know that God walks with us in the midst of the trials in life now, and we know this, he will walk with us eternally in a land where distress will forever cease. And I want to end on that point by going to Revelation 21 to point that out. This is the future promise of God's mercy and grace in Christ that David was rejoicing over in the midst of his distress Here in verses 1 to 5, John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's our future promise. And I pray in the midst of your distress that you're clinging to that when you cry out for mercy in the midst of it. I pray that this future promise of rest and God's good design for this distress in your life, I, I pray that it will have the same effect on you that it had on David. I pray that it will humble, humble you, and I pray that you'll be comforted by the joy of knowing who will carry you through this trial now and for eternity. And I pray that you'll be reminded through all that, that if you're willing to turn to him, he has made you willing. And he is able and eager to lean in and care for you. He is the one who will take and turn ashes to beauty and mourning to gladness. And he does it by his sovereign grace and for our good and his praise. Heavenly Father, we come to you again today just humbled By the very revelation you've given us of yourself here in Psalm 116, we pray that we would have the like responses of David to the distress we face every day in life and even in the future distresses to come. Pray that we would be humbled through this and that we would look to you and your characteristics and not focus on the circumstances. That we would trust that you have a plan in the distress to make us more like Christ and to assure us of your love for us in Christ. We pray that you be glorified as we rejoice in that in Jesus' name. Amen.